rare disease community is inspirational, brave, and empowering. Welcome to Insightful Moments, My Vibe, from PTC Therapeutics. everyone and welcome back to PTC's Insightful Moments, My Vibe, where we're elevating the voices of people within the rare disease community to inspire, inform, and comfort. My name is Paula Orendash and I'm the Patient Engagement Liaison at PTC. Recently, we attended the 28th Annual PPMD Conference for Physicians, caregivers, and families affected by Duchenne muscular dystrophy. A diagnosis of DMD is often the start of a long journey. For those who are diagnosed and their loved ones, it often means the rewriting of relationships and the reimagining of what it means to be independent. On today's episode, we talk with some individuals and families affected by DMD about how they learned to build up and maintain their independence, even when that meant learning to ask for a helping hand. We'll also hear how some amazing people from the DMD community are giving that helping hand right back. Being a single parent is challenging. Being a single parent to a child with Duchenne can sometimes feel impossible. Next, we speak with Daryl about his journey as a single parent and how he tackled an exceptionally difficult road to regaining and teaching independence. First of all, thank you so much for being a part of our My Vibe. You're welcome. And so I would love for you to introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about you. Okay. Uh, my name is Daryl Knight. I live in Westminster, Colorado. I have two sons, Robert, who's 28 now, and Jack, who's 21. I am 63. And uh, yeah, that's the, the short version. The short version. That's your elevator version. That's my elevator version. Great. Yes. So yeah. Let's talk a little bit then about, um, well, let's go a little bit back, talk about Jack. Okay. And, you know, and, and of course your lovely wife, Angela. Okay. Jack was diagnosed when he was two and a half and we didn't know anything about Duchenne. The doctors told us we believe he has Duchenne. We went home and looked it up on the website, the MDA website, and that was just brutal, brutal. But two months after he was diagnosed, we were at Cincinnati at our first PPMD conference. And our theory was, we're gonna bone up on everything. Oh, we're gonna learn all about this. Yeah, that was not the thing to do either. It was pretty rough, pretty rough. But uh, so that was 2004. So here we are years and years later. I think I'm kind of one of the senior members, but my wife, Angela, unfortunately passed away a year ago last December. She was 53, and she was basically the heart and soul of the family. She was the brains, and I was the muscle. Now I have to be the mu- brains, and it's not working well, but we'll see how that works out. But yeah, and uh, yeah, so it's left a, a big hole, but the family's doing well. Family's doing well. 
So let, let's talk a little bit about Jack and where he is today. Jack is, like I said, he's 21. He's at the University of Colorado Boulder. He's going into his senior year. Uh, he'll graduate college a year from December with a degree in history. What he's going to do with that, we don't know. But he has a he has a plan. I thought at one time he would teach, but he has struggles talking in front of people, unlike his dad. And uh, he, uh, yeah, he talked about pre-law at one time. I was like, okay. But he told me the other day he's going to go down to the uh, Denver Museum Sciences and he's going to apply for an internship. He wants to work at a museum now, which is great. I can't think of anything better for him to do. He loves history and he loves being around people. So I think that's a good thing. Perfect. So tell me a little bit about you and Angela and how you kind of prepare Jack for being able to live on his own and for him, you know, because he's away at college. And what did that process look like and when did that start? It actually started immediately. We didn't treat Jack any differently than we treated his older brother. We disciplined him the same way. We expected him to do the same things as his brother. As an example, he'd be sitting there and he'd be like, Dad, can you go get my iPad out of the bedroom? Uh, you have four wheels and a charged battery. Go get it yourself. You know, and it, it really did teach him to be independent. You know, he started doing stuff on his own all the time. And then after a while, it's like, wait a minute, you just went to the bathroom by yourself? How did you do that? So he started learning and we taught him, you know, try it. You never know if it's going to work until you try it, right? So he started doing all that. And it was kind of, we just felt we didn't want to treat him any differently. We didn't want him to be different. Even though he is, we didn't want him to be different. And it worked out pretty well because he is very independent. Sometimes maybe too independent, but that's okay. You know, it works. So what are some of the things then as a family you would do and that you could have Jack experience equally with all of you? Well, you know, I mean, for us, we were always like we wanted to not shortchange him in his life. I mean, if, if it's a shortened life he has, which now we're starting to think, wow, he could be here a long time. We wanted him to experience everything. So we took him on trips. We just learned how to do it. We went to France twice, south of France, Central Pay twice. Uh, we went to Canada. We went to Mexico. We, we just started traveling everywhere. We started doing things. It didn't matter what it was. We just figured it out. And sometimes we were good at it and sometimes we weren't. But we learned the next time that, hey, we're going to do this a little bit differently. So we just, we continued to do it. And I think that gave him an experience too of, being outgoing and trying to get out there and be his own person too. You know, he wanted to experience life. So when we started, uh, my wife got him involved in adaptive adventures in Colorado. So he was snow skiing. He started water skiing. He got a hold of a group that we flew him out to uh, Monterey Bay, California, and he scuba dived in the Monterey Bay Aquarium. And he loved it, had to do it. So he started in on all that stuff and he just, he wanted to do it. He wanted to do it. Of course, I think Angela pushed him to do it a little bit too. You know, I was like, hey, by the way, we're going to do this. I don't want to do that. Yeah, we're going to go do it anyway. You'll love it. Trust me. Yeah. So we forced him to do it a little bit. So. But now that you could see that the benefits, right? Obviously. No question. No question. I mean, what he does for himself. You know, he can live on his own. 
he's talked to me about he wants to take a trip with his caregivers. Leave dad at home. Of course, dad's going to pay for it. I mean, my God. But no, he, uh, he wants to take a trip. And I said, really, where do you want to go? He says, Florida. I said, okay. Does that mean I have to go with you? He goes, no. He says, I'll take two caregivers. Okay. Like, this is like spring break in college, right? Yeah. Yeah, something like that. So, okay. If you want to do it, I told him, I said, if you want to do it, let's do it. I'll get it all arranged or you can get it all arranged and go do it. Nothing's stopping you. Nothing's stopping you. And he's learned that, you know, for traveling, he learns what we do and what he's good at. And he's good at relaying that stuff to his caregivers and the people at the airlines and the people at the hotels. He's good at telling them what his needs are, you know, without being too bossy. He would just tell them, this is what my needs are. Can you help me out with it? And yeah, it's worked out really well for him. It really has. So those conversations and just helping, like if we're talking to families who are maybe with a younger son, trying to build those skills and seeing the benefit, yeah. right? As now Jack's kind of pretty much on his own, right? Kind of pretty much on his own. In fact, our theory has always been we can do the same things everybody else does. It's just a little bit different. Uh, example, snow skiing wise. He's not on skis. He's in a ski chair. He's has an instructor that's tethered to him. Okay, yeah, it's different than normal people. I shouldn't say normal people, but other skiers. But he skis the back bowls at Keystone. He skis the half pipe at Keystone. He's just, and wherever he wanted to go, the instructor would take him. And I think that's the thing is like, no, it didn't end. You just got to, it's not going to be the same as you would think, but it's going to be different, but it still can be done. And you can have just as much fun. Just as exciting and the great experience for a, a boy with Duchenne. Let's talk a little bit about you. You're now a single dad. Yes. You're an empty nester. Yes. So what do you find your day like? Like what, how has your adjustment been? My adjustment's been extremely hard. I cannot, <coughs> cannot lie about that. It's, uh, you know, for so many years, you're a father with a boy with Duchenne. You always have to... You're always there. You're there for the wife. And, and all of a sudden, your boys are off going, yeah, dad, you're not coming with us. Yeah, dad, you're staying at home. Yeah, dad, we don't want you around. And all of a sudden, it's like, okay, um, I'm kind of on my own. Uh, so my question is, what can I do? What do I want to do? And I guess the answer is anything I want. The problem is for years, we've geared to set ourselves up to this is what our life's going to be like for so many years. And all of a sudden, because of some bad luck with my wife and stuff, things definitely changed. My wife and I always wanted to travel once Jack was on his own and we we're going to go see things. And of course, now it's if I go travel, it's by myself. I don't really want to do that. But yeah, it's, it's different. I, I got to be honest, I haven't figured it out yet. I've been struggling with that. That's been a big struggle for me is figuring out me now, not anybody else but me. And to sit there and put myself first before the family or before my wife's needs when she was sick and stuff is just really hard because I'm not accustomed to it. This is something new. So we'll figure it out eventually, someday, hopefully soon, but we'll figure it out. We talked to a single dad earlier mm -hmm. um, and he's newly diagnosed son. Mm -hmm. So if you were to have a conversation with him, what does that conversation sound like? Uh, once again, uh, when you're talking to dads 
And then you're talking to moms. When you're at the conferences and you're talking to moms and you bring up the dad's perspective, it's definitely different than the moms. There's no question about it. I think the thing to do, my advice to him would be don't treat him differently than any other child. You know, give him the best experience you can. It's not about life. It's about quality. And that, I think that's with everybody, don't you think? It's like it's about your quality of life. And, um, yeah, just go out and do it and figure it out because it's definitely – you can figure it out. It doesn't – it's a lot of work, but you can figure it out. So I think that's where I'd start with is, is just do it. And about the differences like when Jack was first diagnosed, mm-hmm. right, and what's, what's a, the, the science, the treatments, the – Oh, God. That first time we went to Cincinnati, it was horrible. There was no clinical trials. There was, it was gloom and doom. We got done and it was, I, I don't even remember the flight home. My mind was so full of, you know, and it really was depressing. I can't lie to you. It was like Angela and I were just like, oh my God, what do we do? What do we get ourselves into? What is this? And as time went on, there was little hopes. So all of a sudden it became, there's a hope there. Well, it's a small hope, but it's hope. And since then, I mean, sitting here today, listening to the clinical trials coming up and all, it is a positive effect, a positive thing that these boys are coming into. Obviously, we'd like to have it tomorrow, but it is what it is. The whole thing now is keep them going longer. But yeah, that first conference was rough. It was really rough. We talk a lot about kind of getting that initial diagnosis and falling into that rabbit hole, that internet Mm -hmm. rabbit hole. Mm -hmm. And you kind of alluded to that too, that that was something that you originally had done. Do you think that at that original diagnosis, what would you recommend a family to do, you know, as far as the next step, the first step once you get that diagnosis? What happened with us, it was kind of out of the, it was kind of an odd deal because Obviously, we got in the internet and the information we got was off of a website that hadn't been updated since 1987. So, of course, it was just horrible. I remember sitting on the floor with my wife crying, going, oh, my God, this is horrible. This is absolutely horrible. And then we went to the clinic in Denver and it wasn't, it wasn't a better experience. Because they said, well, we think your son does have Duchenne's. They did a muscle biopsy on him. They came back and said, yes, he has no dystrophin at all. Um, We said, what can we do? And they said, oh, take him home and give him the best life he can. Well, that's kind of, we're going to do that no matter what. He's our son, whether he's healthy or has Duchenne. We're going to do that anyway. But my wife turns to me and goes, no, there's got to be more than that. There's got to be more than that. You had to kind of, it's not going to come to you. You have to go out and find it and dig deep and ask the questions and don't take no for an answer. So how does a family start to build their community? It sounded like you really have a great community at home. Jack has, you know, his community at school. How does one start to build that? Jack's community at school, the problem with that was he started his first semester semester was before COVID. And I mean, he was starting to go to football games. He, he had his caregivers, but he was in the freshman dorm rooms. He started meeting people. 
He had a beautiful service dog that would go out and get girls for him. It was just working so well. And then the next semester, halfway through, they said, nope, you can't have anybody in your room except for your caregivers. You can't go out. The party stopped. The football games started, stopped. The basketball games, they weren't allowed to, you know, it, it all just came to a screeching halt. And I think that hurt him more than anything else was that isolation because he's very open. He wants to meet people and do things with people. And I think that hurt him a lot. But so since then, he's been struggling with a little bit of his community there. He's bound and determined to build that back up his senior year. I mean, he wants a community his senior year, he wants to go out and party and go to the football games and the basketball games and have a good time again because he really hasn't had, unfortunately, the college experience. So that's hurt him a little bit. But uh, – I think he's I think he's willing to get out there and meet the people. So that's the first step. So isolation seems to be a big common theme with mm-hmm. you know especially a being diagnosed with a rare disease and then I think everyone can equate a little bit of the feelings of isolation during the lockdown and how how do you get through those times of isolation or loneliness? Me personally? Yeah. I travel a lot so I see a lot of people which used to just bother Angela because I'd come home and say, she go, how was your trip? Oh, I met this wonderful flight attendant. Yeah, you'd talk to anybody, wouldn't you? Yeah, pretty much. I, I think for me, I, wow, I don't think we've gotten through it yet, to be honest with you. I think it's still going to take a little time. For me especially, being that I'm not a couple anymore, I am a single dad, I think it's going to take a little while to you know, get back into that community and build my own community again. Because to be honest with you, I mean, I was a couple with everybody and now I'm the single guy. You, you become that third wheel type of thing. Let's look forward. Mm-hmm. And we're looking at Jack maybe graduating and maybe getting a job and, and doing something in a museum. What do you see for him? What is your hopes for him? You always, as a dad, you always wanted the, oh, get married, have kids, you know, white picket fence, the house, all that stuff. I just want him to be happy in whatever he does. The house we built 15 years ago is fully accessible. It was built for him because we didn't want him to be on a different floor than us on a two-story house. So we built a ranch house, fully accessible, rolling showers, the whole works. When he graduates college, I told him, I said, I'm handing you the keys to the house. You move in, I'm moving out. He's going to be a 23-year-old adult. He doesn't want to live with his dad. Honestly, his dad really doesn't want to live with him. So, yeah, I I hope for happiness. I hope for good health. I mean, he's in terrific health right now. So I just want him to experience life and start doing the things for him. Getting married. Boy, that's a conversation we've had many, many times, and it scares him to death. But, um, yeah, it's hard to say. I mean, there are men out there with Duchenne that are marrying and are having families. And do I have that for him? I hope just he does what makes him happy. Whatever it is, just do it. And he has the ability to do it. He just needs to go out and figure it out, too, just like his dad is. Trying to figure out the new normal. You get out of college, figure out the new normal. Just like my dad always says, I don't care what you do, just do something, you know? And so 
that's all I hope for him is to be happy and do whatever he feels he wants to do. And where do you see you? Why, that is the million-dollar question. I have no idea. And believe me, I wake up in the middle of the night going like, what am I going to do? How am I going to do this? Wow, what is my next step, you know? Yeah, I don't know. I just got to get Jack through college, get him settled in the house, and then I'm just going to say, you do you, I'll do me. And at that point in time, I'll start figuring out. I'm hoping that it'll eventually come up and just knock me in the side of the head and say, this is what you're going to do. But I don't think that's going to happen. We'll see what happens. It's, for me, I just, it just now started where I started getting to a point where I started thinking about it. I mean, it's been a year and a half since Angela passed away. I started realizing that after the golf tournament we just had, which was very successful, that that was a line in the sand for me. We've done her celebration of life. We've done her memorial golf tournament. We put her memorial park bench out at a lake by our house, which is just beautiful. But once I did that, then I said, that's it. There's no more. And after that, it was going to be not about the boys or about Angela's legacy or anything else. It's going to be about me now. Uh, what that means, I have no clue. I figure it out. Figure it out. Well, I imagine she's immensely proud of you. I'm so grateful you came. To well, thank you for having story. me. I enjoy it. I enjoy it. Thank you so um, much. It was, it was great. And uh, there's a lot of stories that... Uh, you know, we've had a very good life. I hope she had a very good life. I'm pretty sure she did. She would tell you that. I, I felt like there were times we could have done things better, but I think that's with everything. So I'm not worried about that. But I just hope my boys become everything their mom wanted them to be. And I hope that's what they're doing. I hope so. Anyway, but we'll see. Well, it we'll sounds see. like they're on their way. I hope so. I yep. hope so. Yeah. <laughs> so, thank you again. that comes from growing up can be both liberating and intimidating, especially for kids transitioning from a manual to a motorized wheelchair. Next, we talk with Jim and Audra as they tell us about their son, Kevin, and how they're talking to him and helping him through this big life moment. First of all, thank you so much for joining us and being a part of our Insightful Moments My Vibe and want to welcome you. Thank you. It's great to be here. Good. So I would Thanks love for having us. To, of course. So I'd love for you to introduce yourselves. Tell us a little bit about you, your family, where you're from. Hi, I'm Jim Carbone and um, from Connecticut my whole life. And uh, I'm an IT uh, director and I, you know, have a son, Kevin who's about to turn nine years old. And I'm Audra Carbone, and we currently live in Sandy Hook, Connecticut. Well, can you tell me a little bit about Kevin? Sure. So Kevin will be nine in August, and um, he is a car fanatic. And it doesn't matter whether it's like an old Oldsmobile Cutlass Supreme that like the mufflers falling off of, or if it's a Ferrari, Ferrari GTC4 Lusso, he doesn't care. He likes them all. So we go to a lot of car shows with him, and he spends a lot of his time playing with diecast cars, Matchbox, Hot Wheels. It's really his his thing. 
Does he use a motorized wheelchair at this stage? So he was diagnosed when he was three and a half, and he currently uses a manual wheelchair. And we are in the process, actually, of moving to some type of motorized wheelchair. Not sure what type exactly. It's actually been, honestly, a bit of a challenge um, to to find the right person to work with his personality as well as his physical disability, to be able to give him the independence that we would like him to have. So that's kind of a transitional age, right? So when you're making that decision from a manual wheelchair to a motorized wheelchair, and that's, you know, that decision process of when the time is right. How did you come to that thought process? How did that look? You know, just seeing, you know, the the manual chair, you know, you could see he he's a, a child who really likes to do things on his own, doesn't want a lot of help, you know. And, you know, sometimes he's okay with the help, sometimes he's not. And, you know, I think it, it's just trying to remove the defeats for him. I think that's what's mostly the driver, to try to let him feel like he's in a bit of control and to, you know, kind of, you know, just remove that constant feeling of needing assistance. And so I think coming here was a bit enlightening to the fact that, you know, seeing kids that have taken that next step, you know, maybe not the second step of the large chair, but just that interim step. And it's really good to see, you know, talking to some of the other parents and, you know, they're having some of the same challenges. So, um, but I think, you know, really comes down to trying to remove many obstacles as we can, uh, letting him, you know, retain that independence and remove those defeats as much as we can. Wonderful. And so how do you think Kevin's perspective is on all of it? It's funny because we talk about that a lot, our adult parental perspective about it. And our adult brains expect him to think in a certain way. And that isn't how he thinks. I think he just kind of wants to play and have fun and see things. And we know the future. He is only a child. So he is enjoying his life as a child. It's kind of like an ignorant bliss being a kid in that way, you know, with Duchenne. And I will say that his wheelchair, we thought it would be, you know, very uh, causing a lot of, of grief, which it For is. For uh, there's a POV. Yes, yes. Um, but, you know, he's not fighting us every time we're like, okay, well, if your legs hurt, why don't, you know, sit in your wheelchair. He's like, I want to get in my wheelchair and go over there. Could you help me with that? And so I think that's giving us even greater motivation to get him exactly the care that he needs with the right equipment. It's amazing how their cues are very different, as you said, like our adult mind versus their mind, but that their cues are spot on, right? Yes, absolutely. absolutely. I have an example this morning. I was just looking at some of those chairs I was describing, um, the, the interim chairs, the easy light chairs types. And I looked up at my son and I, you know, I said, I'm just going to show him this thing. See what it thinks, you know, talk it up. Hey, look at this chair. It's pretty cool, huh? 
this is what the other kids that are your age are riding around. What do you think? Hey, can I get those big wheels on the back too? I said, yeah, you could get the big wheels on the back. Of course. He's like, oh, he's like, look at the joystick. It has a joystick so I could drive it. Yep. It's got the joystick so you could drive it. He was pumped about it. He's like, what other types? You know, he wanted to see all the types. So like the cars, he's, <laughs> he's like, what are they, all the types? I want to see all the wheel types. I want to see all the different. And so we started scrolling through and, you know, he was really receptive to it. And, you know, he knows, I think he's already knows in his head, like, oh, that's what I'm going to get next. But there's no questions of like, why? And, you know, how? And, you know, is this permanent? And, you know, all that type of stuff is not coming up. So for him, I think it's, you know, like I said, that naive, you know, bliss that's that's still there is nice, you know. Um, so I think that's his perspective, at least. And so is this your first co- uh, conference? Yes. So coming here for the first time. Yes. And so is this a Kevin's first experience with uh, obviously a large amount of uh, kiddos, right? And, is, and many different. So how, how do you think um, Kevin is kind of absorbing all this? And do you think that maybe his perspective on the equipment is different because of him being with others? He's not voicing a lot about the other kids and, hey, you know, you know, you know, in the bigger chairs or anything like that, but I see him looking and I see him watching. And so I could see his gears going, you know, in his head a little bit. And, um, you know, it's, I've only asked a couple of questions here and there. Hey, you know, these are some of the chairs that I think that, you know, you're going to need. And, and Oh, really? Like this one? I said, oh, no, not that one. You know, that's for the older boys, you know, typically. And, you know, Oh, okay. And where, where's my friend? So I want to go see my friend. So he's, He's already, you know, his friends, you know, mm-hmm. uh, that he knows are, you know, he's already, you know, happy to see them and meet, you know, seeing other kids. I think it's good for him, though he hasn't really said, oh, this is great. You know, look at all these other kids like me, you know, but I, I think he's feeling it. I don't know if you have a different POV. Oh, absolutely. He, Kevin knows he has Duchenne, so he knows the language. And we do have... A few other families near us in Connecticut um, at different stages. Since this is your first conference, can you tell me, like, you know, your expectations to kind of now you've been a few days here, what the reality has been for you? I think it was overwhelming at first. So I think we were, he was really wanting to engage with the other kids that he was seeing and see things. He was very excited as we were. And it very quickly became overwhelming. Even though we know a few of the other families here, I think we just kind of retreated to our room. And it was funny because later in the evening yesterday, I was speaking to a parent that I had just met. And she said, oh, my goodness, on my my first conference, I came down and I was completely overwhelmed. And I retreated to my room for three hours. And I was like, oh, my gosh, that's exactly how we felt. But once we started talking like that and getting Kevin involved with the other kids and doing the kids track and networking, it, it, it really completely flipped it. And I 
I'm having a good time here. This isn't just for the families, you know, with the kids here. So I think once we got adjusted, like Audra said, it's been great. And and we've already met a few families um, that have helped ease us in, like Audra said, you know, been there. Um, so I think they got it. And, you know, we took our time to get here. You know, we, we you know, Kevin's, you know, almost nine and it's our first time, you know, so other people, you know, they're here, their, their child was just diagnosed at three. I don't think we could have ever done that ourselves. We had to go to Disney a couple of times. We had to take a break, you know, COVID, you know, kept us close at home for a couple of years, you know? And, and so I think that the timing was right, but I think this showed us that it wasn't time until now. Right. Correct. Can we go a little bit um, back and, and talk about the diagnostic journey yeah. and, and kind of give us an understanding of what that was like for you? So I knew that's Something, which podcast can't see my quotes, but something was going on when he was born because he couldn't latch on to the bottle properly. And he, the formula would run down his neck to the point where I actually started putting hand towels around his neck to absorb it. And for years, I think we, we both recognized he was very slow to pick his head up. He hated tummy time. All the things that they say to do, well, just keep having them do tummy time, you know, really kind of make it enjoyable for them. And he was miserable. And they would say, oh, well, put a toy a little bit farther away from him and, and he will go and he will want to get that toy. And Kevin didn't. Kevin was completely content with playing on the little piece of carpet that he was laying on there. And it took many years. Like I said, he was three and a half when he was diagnosed of us saying, I think there's something going on here. And the response being, he will catch up. Do early intervention and he will catch up. I think that does work for a a lot of families who don't have a child with Duchenne. So many other things they do end up catching up. But he, he really didn't follow that. And when he didn't walk until, I think, almost 24 months. It was 22. Even then, you know, we were still kind of like, wow, what's, what's going on here? And I remember even my father-in-law at one point just saying, and he's not a medical professional, but he's like, wow, his, his legs look kind of funny to me. His ankles look very unstable. And I'm thinking, my goodness, we have him at physical therapy. We have him in birth to three. We have him to the pediatrician. And at the end of it, he was diagnosed through a blood test because of gastrointestinal problems. And they tested him for celiac. And they said, you know what? He doesn't have celiac disease. Um, CK levels. I think there were 19,000, if I remember correctly. And um, fortunately, the next day was my birthday. So we went to the doctor, and we kind of talked to the doctor a little bit. I felt like sort of maybe dancing around the condition and not saying the words. And the doctor said, I'll be back in a few minutes. And Jim, you were in the room with Kevin, and and I walked out after that doctor because at that point I had been on Google. 
And I said, does my, good idea at that point. does my son have muscular dystrophy? Yeah. And he said, yes. And I, I think it was a good few months of a blur after that. It's like an over, you know, run over with a truck. <laughs> That's what it felt like. It was yeah. really like they say in the movies, when you see someone talking about a traumatic thing or acting out a traumatic event, that. Everything is in slow motion, and you're sort of outside of your body watching what's going on. But you're there, and you go home every night, and you have your child with you who still, you know, needs to be fed and needs to be, you know, taken to preschool the next day. I dropped him off at preschool and sat in the parking lot and bawled my eyes out. Then you stop crying and you turn on your car and you drive to the grocery store. Because, <laughs> unfortunately, you know, I should say fortunately, life does keep going. So it's, it's kind of that surreal time, right? When that initial diagnosis and you're kind of living in that outer body experience, right? Yes. At what point then do you make that transition of, okay, this is our reality and how do you make that next step? How do you take that leap to move? It takes a while. It took a while for us. And it took a while for me, you know, to get through all the loss of not just the diagnosis, the loss of the future, the loss of so many things for him, you know, for us, for he was our only son, you know, so there's a lot there. But I think, you know, as time goes on and soreness goes away, I, I don't know how to, you know, the bleeding you know, slows, I guess, a little bit. And you, uh, you know, you start just realizing that you got to be strong for this kid because there's no one else that's going to be. Can't let yourself fall apart. I think we have an agreement with ourselves to, you know, if we see the other one struggling, we got to pick each other up. We're not always going to be at 100%. And we're also going to both be on the ground at the same time sometimes. And it just takes a lot. But I think when you look at, what Kevin has to go through and everything that he's going to be faced with himself makes it easier for me. Absolutely. My pain pales in comparison to what I project that he feels. Yeah. And I know that it, it took a little while. It, it took a few months. When we went to the initial diagnosis, you know, they hand you packets of information the last thing you want to do is read that information because that's a confirmation of the reality. But eventually I did open it. Yeah, and I think, you know, that honeymoon, they call it the honeymoon period, you know, after diagnosis, you know, was, oh, he looks great on Facebook. You know, all the happy pictures on Facebook, he's doing great, you know. It just kind of discredits kind of, you know, your whole thing you're going through, but you get it. But then, you know, now we're hitting that point where, you know, he can't get off the ground. I got to be there to help him up every time. Can't get up one step. I'm looking around at every room I go into. Okay, where's the obstacle, <laughs> you know, um, and stuff like that. What am I going to have to help him with, you know? It, it, you know, so it's we're hitting the next phase now. And it's so that's a whole new thing to, for us. I think, you know, being we're here now is a good thing, you know, to try to figure out how to get through this one, <laughs> you know, and, and kind of face all these things we're looking at at this moment. But um so I think, yeah, it's, you know, here, here we are. What I keep hearing too, though, is that you're really building your community. 
you know, from yeah. reaching out. And so if a family, you know, kind of maybe a little bit um, struggling with building a community, can you talk a little bit about like what you found was helpful? Just reaching out. Uh, we are both <laughs> pretty introverted folks. We've uh, kind of discussed this a bit more on this trip. So we're the social things we haven't participated in a lot. Like we said, this is our first conference in person. But at least reaching out on Facebook, seeing things, you're going to see the bad too because it's there. But you also will see the good and, and find peace in between you and a stranger that they know exactly how you feel and what you're going through, and you know exactly how they feel and what they're going through. And you don't have to have that preliminary discussion like every Duchenne article starts with. Duchenne is a muscle-wasting disease that you don't have to have that conversation with another Duchenne parent. They already know. So you can just cut to the chase, and once you want to talk about, hey, I want to get my son a new wheelchair— how can I help his independence? Hey, I want to, you know, maybe is it time for a cough assist? Those are things that I think we are really finding that other families know so much more about than your neighborhood hospital. It's just the experience for those professionals just isn't there, being that it's rare. I think being a, a guy, you know, we just handle things differently, I think. Is, you know, talk to other dads and they say the same thing. I think, you know, Audrey, you've done amazing and your, you know, ability to reach out to people and talk and everything, but I, I just, I'm not there. I don't, you know, I go, I golf with my friends, you know, and I hang out with them. There's not a lot of talk. How's your son? He's good. Thanks for asking. You know, what am I supposed to do? You know, drag the whole group down, you know, and then you feel like people don't want to hang out with you. You know, I don't want to go out with this guy and have beers. He starts pouring his heart out every time. It's probably not how they feel, but I feel like that's how they feel. I think for a, a guy that maybe isn't quite there, he, you can be very emotional with your friends. And um, and some of my friends, I can be here as well, but it's just, it's just different. It's been a common theme through our conversations with families, talking to dads. We had a single dad, newly diagnosed, uh, come here. And he said, I looked around the room and it's a lot of moms. And he goes, you know, men just, they connect differently, right? That women, we can, you know, sit and hug and cry. And and he said that that's where he's struggling too. So I think it's a commonality for all dads. But it says a lot that you're here and finding, you know, your peace and your place here. Um, and I, I hope that, you know, all of the dads at least are connecting some way, whether it be at the bar or, you know, sitting outside uh, the pool, because it really, the connections are different, right? We all have a way of building our own community. And so um, I hope that um, one of the things to leave a meeting like this is, you know, having a little bit, an extra person in your community. But like I was saying to you yesterday, we were at the pool and I looked over and there was a young man carrying his a dad carrying his child out of the pool exactly the same way that you carry Kevin out of the pool. And I was like, wow, we really are 
among our tribe that understands and gets us. It's just, it's refreshing to see in sort of an odd way. The most common, I, you know, in talking to other parents, the most common phrases I hear, you know, amongst those are nobody gets it unless you're in it. You just don't. I know people somewhat get it, but unless it's your kid and unless it's your journey, I don't think others fully grasp it. And this phase, I think, is is hard because between the ages of three and six or seven or eight, as Kevin is using his wheelchair more now, you know, you tell your your family and friends, we've just received this very tragic diagnosis. They're like, but he's he's walking around. Looks great on Facebook. Yeah. What do you mean? And hey, we thought he'd be in a wheelchair by now, sort of implying that we were not lying about his condition, but exaggerating it, not realizing that when you get that diagnosis of your child as a parent, you know, how, how, how it really goes deep down into your soul because you know what's coming. I cannot thank you enough for sharing all of this. And I know that your journey is the the things that you share today are so valuable for other families. Our last guest today is Hulda. She is a kindergarten teacher from Iceland and the mother of a son with DMD. After her son's diagnosis, she turned to poetry to help with coping but she never expected how impactful her poetry would be for others in the rare disease community. She tells us about how she learned to help herself and how she's using what she learned to encourage others in the most amazing way. We're so happy that you're joining us at Insightful Moments, my vibe. Thank you so much and thank you for having me. Absolutely. So I would love for you to introduce yourself and tell everyone about you and your family. So my name is Hulta and I'm from Iceland. I am a kindergarten teacher and I have three children. Um, I have twins who are 21 year old and then I have Ayer. He is the one who has to send muscular dystrophy. So up until 2016, I had a pretty uh, relatively normal life. Then uh, we got the diagnosis on Iceland's national holiday, which is a day, is a day I will never forget. And um, after kind of going through that initial trauma and dealing with all of that and finally being ready to just get some information about what is this, and I just realized I felt like I wanted to do something. I wanted to do some good out of this devastating situation. You know, I am I think at the base of me, I'm, I'm a positive person and I like to look at the bright sides and I always want to just be in that positive uh, place rather than just you know if you cry all the time you get wet if you smile the world will smile at you that's kind of (laughs) the motto that I want to have uh, the mindset and I gradually just started thinking what can I do I I took to social media started doing a little awareness there with the mindset of just if I can help just one person then it's good and if it's just me then it's good so that's really how it just began and I've always written poetry, and that really, it was kind of like the floodgates opened with po- the poems just came to me 
big time after the diagnosis. And I think that really was a lot of healing in writing that for me. I wrote a lot of poetry going through that initial just grieving period. And um, then I started posting the poems online and I got such good feedback and encouragement. People were seemed to be enjoying it and, and relating to it. And uh, it really has just grown organically. The things that I'm doing now on social media is just, it's a full-time job now for me even. And um, me and Ayer, we, uh, we've always loved dancing and we've danced since he was very little. And I don't know what prompted me to do when I started to do the, the post the first video of Friday Fun Dancing. We were just staying at home. I was alone, home alone with him and we danced and I took a video and posted it. And the response was just wonderful. And I thought, okay, maybe that's a fun way of doing advocacy and raising awareness because that can sometimes be, I don't want to say boring, but, you know, kind of, it can be sometimes dry and you're talking about all this, all those facts and stuff, but that's maybe not a lot of fun. <laughs> so I thought maybe dancing could be a way to get to people. And uh, if I was always talking about Tushen and, you know, people would hear that word because I always start the videos with, hi guys, you know what time it is? It's Friday fun and we are dancing for Tushen. And we kind of just started saying that all the time. And I got messages from people. What, what, what's that you're talking about? What is Tushen? So I realized there was power in that and people would want to maybe try to figure out what that was as we were talking about it. And then um, I had this idea to get people to join us in the, on all the videos. And uh, that also just grew <laughs> by itself. I love how that has happened. And it just seems like all of this has happened for a reason. I don't know. I feel like it's strange to say that. But I feel like I'm, I'm meant to be doing all that I'm doing. And it really gives me so much purpose. And strength, even. People ask me all the time, where do you get that energy? Because I, I am a very energetic person, <laughs> being someone with ADHD, I guess. <laughs> but that really gives me so much energy to, to have that purpose and do all that stuff. Because I think without all that, I don't know, maybe I would just be crying all day. <laughs> it really um, may just be a self-surviving mechanism. I don't know. But if, if it is, it's okay. But what I love about it most is just that I see it really seems to make a difference to people. And that's what I absolutely love. I want to take you a little back to um, kind of give us an understanding of this road. Because from the initial diagnosis, right, and you talked about a little bit of the grief in, in that diagnosis, to where you are today with this amazing initiative to making an impact for other people and, of course, for yourself. I want to know like a little bit about how did you get there? Oh my goodness. Yes. That's such a great question. And I really have had to think that recently, a lot of people have been asking me that. And I do realize, I think it was about a month into the diagnosis. And I, there was like this festival in my town called the lobster festival, of course, with being, we live in a lobster town. <laughs> and I was just, I remember I was struggling. I was there with my, my dad had come up to visit and my sister and we were all they were kind of just trying to support us and um as I stood there on the dance floor there was lots of things going on and my son was I was just trying to be happy for him and, and make it a good day and then this artist came on stage and I've always he's I love him he's so good and um he sang this song and I it felt like he was it really hit me right in my heart it felt like it was singing he was singing to me it was the lyrics were like look into the light. 
and that was the moment I think my healing journey really I just I, I feel like it was just a I get goosebumps when I think about this moment it really was something that changed everything for me I think that's where it started and I have felt like this deep conviction that everything is going to be okay you're going to be okay and that's really where it started that got me into just okay let's go let's <laughs> I'm going to do something so yeah I think that was it for me I love it. Thank you. And so you've you've taken that journey to now. Is this your first conference? This is my, I, I think we went for the first time. I was diagnosed in June and we actually did a conference in the UK with Action Jishan in November, which was, I don't know if I would recommend doing that. That was very early into the diagnosis. And we, we it was a lot. We I think when the conference was finished on Sunday, I just sat in my room and cried. It was just so surreal being there. You know, is this my life now? Where am I? I wonder what my friends are doing right now. Maybe they're playing soccer with the kids. And here I am listening to all this devastating facts about my son's disease. So uh, that was the first one we did. And we did another one in Birmingham, I think one or two years later. And then PPMD, the conference in Orlando in 2019. And then this one. Yeah. So it's four. Talk to me about that first experience at the conference to what it was like arriving here now. Oh, wow. I went, well, the first conference I attended to in uh, Orlando, I felt like I was home. It really was my tribe. Uh, the people here in the community, the Chichen community in this conference is just phenomenal. Everybody welcomed us with open arms. And it was just so good to feel that, you know, you're not alone. I think probably in Europe, People are more, more, maybe a little bit more assured, I think. But here, everybody's like, yeah, very open. And I'm very open. So it was just a great fit for me. And uh, the, just the, the sessions, and uh, we loved it so much that we wanted to come again this time around. We were supposed to also, um, aside from that, we did the Friday Fun Dancing here at this conference with everybody, which was great. And we were also supposed to do a to premiere a documentary that we're working on. It's called a rare journey. <laughs> Unfortunately, it didn't happen. It's still in the editing stages, but we'll get there. But it would have been so fun to premiere it here. So we we yeah we just love being here. So tell me the experience. Like you talk a little bit about experience as a parent, but let's talk about your son and his experiences here. What are you learning about him? So. We did bring him with us for this one because obviously we're doing the Friday Fun Dance and all that. But I, I've always been a little bit hesitant. Bring him. I, I mean, he's only ten now, and uh, we didn't really bring him to the 2019 in Orlando uh, because, uh, you know, the difficult questions will come along when you see stuff. So I didn't quite think he was ready then. Uh, as he's a bit more older now, I thought, okay, you know. Let's just do it. And and it's been it's been great for him. Of course, he's seen, you know, boys that are uh, further along in the disease and, and in the disease, and he will ask, what why are they um always in the wheelchair and all that stuff. So that it's kind of um it's kind of hard because we're not always ready to answer those questions. But at the same time it was really good too, because he, he saw the boys, you know, because as we know, Duchenne boys are sometimes on the autism spectrum and have all the uh, behavioral behavioral um, problems and all that stuff. So he could maybe um, relate to the other boys a little bit and see that back home, 
he's quite unique in his class. There's no one with Duchenne, really. So I think it was both um, good and bad, I think I would say. It was hard, and uh, but still good. So um, I think it's been going good. And in spite of everything, all the difficult questions that have come, we've managed to um, address them and uh, just kind of age appropriately, I think. And that's what you have to do, I think. Looking forward now that the conference is about to end, and what do you think you'll be taking home with you from this? First and foremost, the love and compassion that we feel in, from everybody. It's just phenomenal, really. It, it, people you who you've never even seen, and, and so many people have you know been following us and, and seeing the Friday Fun Dancing videos, and I, I just feel so overwhelmed. But overall, I would say love and compassion. Absolutely. Priceless. Right? <laughs> yes, it Just is. Priceless. It really is. It's priceless for us. So, do a pitch for your dancing for Jushen. Like, where do people find it? And- oh, yeah. Oh, I'm all over the place. <laughs> no. <laughs> so, you can find me, uh, like I said, my charity is Hope with Hilda. So, I do have a website, hopewithhilda.com. It's not fully functional right now because I need to work on a few things. I'm Hope with Hilda on Instagram and TikTok. And then there's, uh, I think, the most active group is on Facebook. And it's called Dancing for Jishen. And then <laughs> Ayer's Journey. I know it's a lot the name of my son, Ayer's Journey. Dancing for Jishen, Ayer's Journey. Perfect. That's wonderful. Well, all I, I, I'm inspired to dance. Yes. <laughs> so if anything, <laughs> yes. um, I would, you know, enjoy watching and following you and appreciate the positivity. Thank you so much. I mean, that positivity, right? And that joy that you're giving, like you said, a poetry or a dance. I mean, just something like that. I mean, there's always light in the darkness, right? And always something to be able to smile about. Even if it's for a short while, it's always, I just really want to get that across. And uh, that even also that people can do something. If you want to do something and, and contribute, be an advocate, you just have to start. I mean, here we are today. I just started doing those videos like three years ago or something. And here we are today doing this. I can't imagine. I never would have thought. So it doesn't take a lot. You can do just a little thing can do amazing things. Thank you so, so much for sharing and for being part of this and for filling us with that positivity. Well, you are so welcome. I, like I said, it gives me energy. And uh, if I can do something good, then it's, it's so worth it for me. But thank you for having me. Thank you everyone for listening to this episode of Insightful Moments, My Vibe, and for supporting voices within the rare disease community. Thank you as well to everyone who shared their stories on today's episode. Please visit our website at www.ptcinsightfulmoments.com for more stories and resources. If any of the stories resonated with you today, Please let us know by leaving a review wherever you're listening or by sharing this show with a friend. I am Paula Orendash, and this has been Insightful Moments My Vibe from PTC Therapeutics. Mm-hmm.